All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning time here together at the Digital Cathedral. Trust you've had a wonderful week and that you're settled in this morning and you're ready to get in and to uh, capture some truth from Scripture this morning. And we're going to look at an incident from the life of Jesus today from John chapter 4. We're working our way through this book of John and it's been a slow, methodical trip. I'll just remind you, we're not going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm just picking out some incidents from the life of, of Jesus as John revealed. And I think John is such a powerful book because it eliminates all dualism. John is, a, is very much about the one. Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So we're going to look this morning from John chapter 4 at an incident from the life of Jesus. And I might just give this caveat before we begin this morning. I don't think the revelation this morning is going to be so much in the hearing as it is in the doing. What I mean by that is I may not this morning uncover some things that are going to make you go, aha, you're not going to, maybe you're not going to have that aha moment today. Sometimes when, as we discover things, there's a lot of revelation that comes forth. So I don't think the revelation this morning is going to be so much in the hearing as it is in the doing. I think there's an awful lot that we can gain from this, this encounter that Jesus has in John chapter 4 from a very practical standpoint, especially from where we're at right now as the body of Christ and sons and daughters that are beginning to manifest and show our, our identity as divinity to the world. We're starting to walk in a different dimension, a different plane. So I think this encounter that Jesus has is extremely important. So I want to go to John chapter 4, and I'm going to read some scripture this morning. I'm going to read more scripture than what I usually do. Uh, I don't read long passages because I don't want to lose you. But I think I want to read this whole situation, this whole incident that Jesus had with a woman at the well. So I want you to, to just listen, or if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, I'm going to read from the New King James. And I'm going to read from verses 5 through 26. So I'm going to read 21 verses of Scripture. I want you to listen carefully to what transpires between Jesus and the woman at the well. And then we're going to point out some things that I think are extremely important to consider in light of where we're at today. Okay? Fair enough. <clears throat> it says in verse 5, So Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now this is, this is an important, and I'm not going to digress much here, but it's important to note this woman came at, at the hot, hottest part of the day. She came about noon to get water. Now women generally went to the well early in the morning. The reason she didn't go early in the morning with the other women is because she, she did not have a good reputation. She was scorned even by the Samaritans. More to say about Samaritans in a minute. But I think it's noteworthy to notice this woman was not held in high regard. And yet Jesus initiates conversation with her. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Now the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you being a Jew ask me to drink? a drink for you, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that said to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now that spurred her interest. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do we get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his son and his livestock? Jesus said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him, will become in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never have to draw again. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I, I have no husband. Jesus said, You've well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truth. The woman said to him, She's very honest with Jesus. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we should worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. That is such a, a profound statement because Jesus is pulling her religious thought and his religious thought on worship together and saying neither one of them is going to cut it. Neither one. You worship what you do not know. We know that we worship the sal for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming. And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called to Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Now this is, this is the kaboom moment. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. That is that. That's, this is a dynamite encounter, and there's so much that we can pull out of this. So basically what we've got in this fourth chapter of John, let me just <clears throat> give you a summary in case you, I kind of lost you in reading 21 verses of Scripture this morning. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. It's a, it's a powerful story filled with symbolism, full of spiritual truth. Jesus, here's what had happened. Jesus and the disciples were on their way back to Galilee from Jerusalem where they had just celebrated Passover. And they were traveling through Samaria. Now Samaria was inhabited by a different race of people who believed in an entirely different religion. It was an offshoot of Judaism, but it was not Judaism. It wasn't, it wasn't pure, uh, uh, same beliefs that the Jews had. And there was absolutely no love between lost love, love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not have much time for one another. They considered each other heretics. I copied just a little bit off the internet just to give you a background of what is going on here with the Samaritans and the Jews. So let me just, let me quickly read this. The Samaritans were a group of people who lived in Samaria, an area north of Jerusalem. They were half Jews and half Gentiles. This is where the rub was. When Assyria captured the northern kingdom of Israel in 71, 721 BC, some were taken captive while others left behind. The ones left behind intermarried with the Assyrians. Thus, those people were neither fully Hebrew nor fully Gentile. The Samaritans had their own unique copy of the first five books of the scripture, as well as their own unique system of worship. At the time of Jesus, the Jews and the Samaritans did not deal with one another. Jesus, however, ministered to the people of Samaria, preaching the good news to them. So you can see there was a conflict. There was, there was a, 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 
two race system here. There were the Jews and the Samaritans, which were basically um, half Jew and half Gentile. So they, they were neither really accepted by either one. Jesus cut through Samaria to get back to Jerusalem or get back to Galilee from Jerusalem. Now, most Jews would have totally avoided Samaria. They would have gone, they would have gone around Samaria so that they didn't have to deal with the Samaritans. That's how, that's how much conflict there was between the two. Jesus going through Samaria says a lot, says a lot about the inclusion and the non-duality of Jesus. To Jesus, there were not two races. To Jesus, there was just one race, that is the human race. So by going through Samaria, Jesus is recognizing and giving some street cred to the Samaritans. So here's what's going on. Jesus is resting at the well. The other disciples went on into town to pick up some Big Macs and fries and come back and they were going to have lunch. Jesus was tired. He was weary from the journey. So the others went ahead, left him there to rest. And this is when the conversation with the woman at the well actually began. This story is filled with dualities. And I talk about dualism because that's not a phrase that we were real familiar with in, in religious circles. Basically, dualism is this. It consists of two opposing or contrasting aspects or forces, like love and hate, fear and faith, uh, right and wrong, good and evil, black and white. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the tree of dualism because it's the tree of twos. When the tree, the tree of dualism <clears throat> creates this good, evil, right, wrong scenario. The tree of life is the tree of one. There's not two at the tree of life. There's just one. It's God's life. It's God's voice. It's God's direction. It's what he says. So at the tree of life, you're not making determinations about right, wrong, good, evil, left or right. At the tree of life, you are simply hearing what the Father says and then you do it. You obey and leave consequences to him. What the tree of life does in the elimination of dualism, and Jesus eliminates dualism throughout the book of John. That's why I like the book of John. It so focuses on the oneness. To re, you know, the, the, the tree of life replaces judgment with response. If you eat at the tree of life, you're bound to make continual judgments. And we, we've lived under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in religion. We've determined what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, if we should, if we shouldn't. Response at the tree of life replaces that judgment. Really, judgment, judgments are simply opinions or perspectives that you have developed, that I have developed by observation or what our senses feed us or what others have told us. Therefore, we look at something as being right or wrong. Jesus, if he were eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, would have looked at the woman from Samaria and said, that woman is wrong and us Jews are right. Jesus didn't look at that. He didn't see two races. He saw one race. Again, only race Jesus saw was the human race. This story is filled with dualism, and we see throughout the story how Jesus whittles down that dualism and eliminates it. You got the man, the woman. First of all, men didn't talk to ladies. Second of all, you got the Jews and the Samaritans. They had no dealings with one another. You've got two different religions, and yet these two people, these two diverse people who had no dealings with one another, came to the same well, came to the same source. Boy, there's a message in there. They both had to come to the same source to draw the source 
of life water. So their conversation, Jesus enters into conversation with her, and this conversation of truth begins to go a lot deeper than religion, a lot deeper than culture, or this racial dualism. So we got Jesus here, a Jew asking a Samaritan for a drink. That is so politically incorrect. That would have not, not happened if Jesus had been eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, he would have judged the situation as, as wrong. And he would, have, he would have probably walked away. He probably would have turned his back. He would have done something. The, 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 the Christ, the, the founder of the Christian faith, is over here, and he's asking a woman of another faith, another culture, another race, for a drink of water. Now, I think you can see on the surface, this just, this just isn't going to cut it. This isn't going to fly. What Jesus does from the very get-go is he eliminates separation. And this is a mindset you and I are, are developing. We're eliminating everything that would create separation. People's opinions, people's ideas, differing from ours. There, there is a time we have to get past that. We have to get beyond that. Jesus came full of grace. He came full of truth. The level of grace and truth that Jesus came from was on such a level that he could take all barriers and eliminate them out of his consciousness. He saw no barriers. He saw no, no stipulations. He saw no reason to not include or embrace with grace. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have never allowed this encounter. I can't emphasize that enough because, you, you know, you, you've been highly trained in religion that you are not to associate with some people, that you are to leave them all to themselves. It, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have shouted in Jesus' ear, look, no way, you stay away from this, this is wrong. Samaritans are heretics. They're dogs. They're below you. They're half-breeds. They're not pure Jews. You don't have any dealings with them. Isn't that the way of religion? Let me just take a little side shoot here. When I was reading the story and kind of contemplating and meditating about it, it struck me how religion taught us to be separate from the world Come out from among them, be a separate, be holy. And yet at the same time, we were placed under guilt and condemnation because we didn't go into the world to win the world. So it created automatic conflict, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Religion said, stay away from the world. Don't, don't get involved in the world. That stuff's going to jump on you and you're going to be drawn into it. And yet on the other hand, we were supposed to go into the world to win the world to Christ. Isn't that crazy? The kingdom, religion has hoodwinked us. That's what's happened. Religion hoodwinked us into thinking that the universe is under competing forces. That there's this, there's this arm wrestling match going on between good and evil, between right and wrong, between God and the devil. And that we don't know how this is going to turn out, but you, you want to make sure that you stay away from anything that's going to influence you from evil because there's these e they're like equal forces that are war in the universe and nothing is further from the truth. When you come to the tree of life, you see there's one power, there's one source. There's only one who is omniscient and omnipotent in the entire universe. There's only one power. And what we have done is we have given power to that which has no power. We have taken the power that has been given to us. The Father has given to us, the omnipotent, omniscient source has given to the sons and daughters dominion over the planet Earth. We are responsible for this planet. Psalm 115 verse 16 says this, 
Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's. Now listen carefully. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given. He's taken of his power, of his authority, of his dominion, and placed it within the hands of the Son of Men. So what goes on in the planet is our responsibility. We can't blame the devil. So we've, we've scapegoated the devil because we have not taken responsibility for the planet. That's why there is, is such atrocity, there's injustice, there's evil that goes on. We have, as the sons of men, we have empowered those things. They have no power except what we've given to it. And it really, it really irks me when people begin to blame God for what's going on in the earth. Well, if there's a God, why would he allow such things to go on? He's probably wondering why the sons of men that have been given the dominion and the right over the earth are allowing such things to take place themselves. In fact, there is not one thing that goes on in the earth that is wrong, that is opposed to God, that man could not straighten out if he desired to. We have that kind of ability. Man, in turn, has given his power to that which has no power, that which we have deemed evil. And we have empowered that evil. So that this evil now has risen up because it's been empowered by men who has been given a dominion over the earth. We have given evil power that was openly obliterated at the cross. Jesus came and set the, set the, set the ground level at the cross. He, he totally annihilated evil. Bible says this, <clears throat> Colossians chapter two, Colossians chapter 2, and I'm, I'm bringing this to light because I want us to eliminate this idea that there's two powers in the universe. There's not two powers in the universe. There's one power, and the power that we call evil is what we have taken of our delegated authority and given to that which has no power. But we could eliminate it. If man wanted to, man could eliminate evil from the planet, and it will happen. Watch, Colossians 2.15 says he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, let no man judge you in food or drink regarding a festival, a new moon, or Sabbath. <clears throat> don't empower, verse 16, don't empower something that has no power. Because Jesus has totally eliminated the power of evil. Now that's an insight. So how does, this, how does evil get this, this power from us? Uh, now that I've just started on this, let me just finish it up real quick. <laughs> I wasn't planning on, on this, little, this little rabbit trail, but I think it's worthwhile because this speaks to the dualism that Jesus came to eliminate. Jesus came to eliminate every form of dualism. He came to bring us and focus in on drinking from one well, whether you're Samaritan or Jew, you drink from one well, the well of life that Jesus talked to her about so explicitly and plainly. So how does this whole thing transpire? Look what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. He says, give no place to the devil. Whatever you think the devil is, whatever you, and I'm not going to debate that with you this morning, whatever you think the devil is, don't give him any place. How do we empower? How do we give place? He tells us in verses 28 to 31, after he says, give him no place, he's going to tell us exactly how we empower evil. Listen to this. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that may, he may have something to give to those that are in need. So the first thing is this, you don't steal. You empower, you empower 
evil when you steal. Then he goes on, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is necessary to edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So whenever you let corrupt communication, you have the power of your tongue. Whenever you use it to convey uh, things that are contrary to the nature of love and grace, you're empowering that. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, these are things that empower evil, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. So that's how mankind has empowered the powers of darkness. They have no power except what we have given them. And there is no power that has been given to us that has not come from the omnipotent source himself, the father of all. In this, in this case, both Jew and Samaritan are drinking out of the same source. So Jesus begins immediately when he says, give me to drink. He's saying, look, and he's going to start putting this in, in some spiritual context. He's saying, look, you and I can drink from the same well. You and I can, we're, we're people, we can drink from the same well. That there's only one ultimate source. So the, the Samaritan woman, first of all, she didn't get it. She didn't see the commonality at first because she's attached to her outward form of religion. And so she, that's the thing that she begins to throw up to Jesus. Her trust was, was in living right and not being, and not being tuned into an inner voice. She, she was used to her uh, form of Judaism, reading her uh, five books of, the, of the, the Pentateuch that were a little different, a little different. And so first of all, she accuses Jesus. He said, who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? She's leaning into like we do. She's leaning into it. You think, you think you have truth that my denomination, my church doesn't have? Some, something, uh, Samaritans trace their lineage back to Jacob. <clears throat> back to Jacob, all right? So she points out their differences in the form of worship. Let, let me look at this. Immediately, this is, this is what happens all the time. We, we fall back on what we know, right? What we've been trained to do. So in, in this fourth chapter, the 20th verse, she says, Our fathers worshiped on the mountain. And you say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So immediately what she does, she falls back in religion. And she points out the differences in worship. Y'all sing out of the hymnal and we sing praise choruses. You know, you sing, you got, you got all those instruments in church. You got the drums, the guitars. We have just a piano and an organ. We, we're, we're different in that way. So Jesus now begins to point her to spirituality and truth that transcends religion. And this, my brother and sister, is where we're at today. We are, we are encountering truth that transcends our religious traditions. And I, I want you to see how Jesus just pulls her into this in verses 21, 2, 3, and 4, let, let me read this. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain. Uh, and I love how Jesus does that. You're not going to worship on this mountain, which you do, or in Jerusalem, which the Jews do. Our Jews worship in Jerusalem, worship, and you go to the mountain. But he's saying, there's coming a time neither one of those is going to cut it. We are in that time when worship in the building is not cutting it. I don't care whether the building is a storefront uh, at a strip center or it's this elaborate multi-million dollar edifice that has been constructed. It has a, has a Starbucks and a McDonald's in it. I don't care. You're, that, that's not where the worship takes place. He said, you worship what you do not know. That's many people today are worshiping God they don't know. 
They, they have a heart for God. They have a, a desire to worship, but they don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of, of the Jews. For this hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus just deep dives, deep dives. He's challenging her. And she's seeing something here going on that she had never seen before. Because she's got a Jew now saying true worship doesn't take place in Jerusalem. All right? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Samaritan lady, the spirit you have, the spirit I have, Jesus say, same spirit. And we're going to learn to worship him out of that spirit. Now, this is really important. This is really important. I want, I want you to get this. Jesus is the one who reached out to the woman. The woman did not reach out to Jesus. Jesus initiated the conversation. Jesus said, if he's lifted up, he'll draw all people to himself. Jesus always initiates the relationship. We didn't come to him because we, we were smart or we were so spiritually attuned. We came because the Father drew us to the Son. He found the common ground with her. He finds common ground with all of us. He knows how we're wired. He knows which buttons to push. But here's, what, here's the point I want to make. Even though he initiated the conversation, hit the common ground, he never compromised who he was. He never compromised the message that he came to deliver, that the Father sent him into the world and said, this is what you must teach. This is what I want you to do. The challenge that we face today, the challenge that we face today, listen, the challenge we face today with grace and love and inclusion. Those, those are, those are the, the, the arrows in our quiver. This is what we fire into our culture. Grace, love, and inclusion. The challenge we have is to take this message of liberty, take this message of freedom into every religious faith. Doesn't matter if they're Armenian, Calvinistic, if they're, if they're Muslim, it doesn't matter. It's to take this message and to include, to find the ground, to, to, to let them know that we're drinking out of the same well. There's only one well. There's only one source. And yet, and yet, not compromise the message. Not compromise the message. <clears throat> and this is what I see going on today. People are compromising the message. We can't dilute. We can't dilute with others, with others' beliefs. And Jesus did not do that. He did not, did not bring the Samaritan beliefs in and say, it's okay what you believe. We all can believe different things. Okay, we're all going to say, Jesus didn't get into that. We are Christ followers. I am a Christ follower. I am Christocentric. I, I, I read wide. I bring a lot of different thoughts into the stream for us to consider. But there's only, there's only one way. There's not... There's only one truth, there's only one life. There's not truth, there's no dualism in this. There's not two systems, there's not two truths. You and I have got to hold firm to the fact that we are Christ-centered. If it's not Christ-centered, I'm out. I, I don't mind you bringing in a little of this and a little of that, but he has got to remain in the very center of it. How did Jesus work? Jesus, it, notice the influence. He didn't, he didn't bring her to a place that he said, you better turn or we're gonna burn. He was an influencer. The message that you and I have, the love, the grace, the inclusion, is a powerful influence. Paul was an influencer. 
Jesus never belittled. He didn't belittle her and say, you know what, you're all jacked up. Your religion is wrong. You've, you've taken the five books. Uh, you've taken Moses' writings and you've skewed them around a little bit and you've got yourself all in this worship over here. You, you need to get that ironed out. No, he didn't do that. He didn't come in a condescending way. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the anointing that you have that comes from spending time in the presence of the Father, your relationship with Him, the intimacy with Him that we talk so much about here at the Digital Cathedral, that, that 10, 15 minutes a day when you just are with Him and He's speaking to you, <clears throat> as well as your running conversation throughout the day, that prayer that just goes on. But the time that you spend in His presence begins to put a light and a life, an unction, an anointing, whatever term you want to put on it. It places within you the very zoe, the life of God in it. And when that flame is lit, it begins to emanate from you into the lives of other people, even when you're not realizing it. Maybe at first Jesus just thought he was striking up a conversation. I, don't, I think he knew where he was going. And I think that you and I have to have some idea that when we encounter somebody at the grocery store or neighbor or whatever, that what is within you is automatically being released through your expression, through your words, through your presence, through your demeanor. It's what, it's what, it's what you carry about you. It's, it's that aura around you that you cannot get away from. Y'all have known people that have had, it's just a bad vibe being around them. Man, you can see the anger all over them. Well, what people are seeing all over you is the life of God. Now, just like this woman at the well, she might not catch it at first. But the light within you is going to dispel darkness. The light that was within Jesus was dispelling darkness. Grace is the unconditional love of God toward us that embraces us and draws us into his life. That very life that we have been drawn into because of grace allows us to release, listen, allows us to release that unconditional love that will embrace the woman at the well that will embrace the Calvinist, the Armenian, the, the Muslim, the Buddhist. It will embrace them and it will draw them. It will draw them. When you lift up Jesus, just through your lifestyle, through the person you are, he said, when you lift him up, he's gonna draw people. He's gonna draw people. Jesus wasn't interested in making her discredit her religion or say anything wrong about what she believed. He, he, went, he went to the source. He, he knew that if he could attach her to the source of life, these other things will fall in place. Let me encourage you about that. You don't have to discredit what people believe. You don't have to discredit what they think. When, they draw, when they're drawn to the life, the light that is within you, right? Those things take care of themselves. It's, in some respects, we just got to trust the Father to handle some of these details. I, I'm not the sheriff that rides, that rides the range of, of grace and love. I'm not, the, I'm not the deputy sheriff that arrests people if I think that their beliefs aren't right. See, we live in a world of duality. And that means we live in a world of differences. People have already determined in their minds what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, that their place of worship, that their form of worship, that the theology they have is right. So what Jesus does, he comes and gives us a non-dualistic approach and he begins to deal with this lady. He encounters her and he does it from another place. He doesn't confront her about where she's wrong. He just brings her to the life, right? Read those verses 21, 22, 23, 24 again this week and you'll get some understanding as to how Jesus dealt with her. Those spirit-inspired words 
carry, carried a, a, a power wallop. When Jesus began to talk to her about water that you drink, you never thirst again, and he has, a, has the ability to dispense this water, he's, he's got her attention. And she looks at Jesus, and she still pulls it back into religion. She declares Jesus to be a prophet. She still doesn't fully see it. Jesus was able to see a time in the future when all of the duality, Samaritan Jew, when all of the competitiveness um, that religion would bring to the table, the places of worship, the forms of worship, uh, the father of their religion, that, doesn't, that, didn't, that wasn't cutting it, didn't make any difference. This is the reason that we hold love, we hold inclusion, we hold grace as our message without sacrificing being Christocentric. We're willing to embrace people where they're at on this journey. They don't have to, they don't have to come to where we are in understanding or revelation. This is what we're challenged with. So we've, we've been developing as sons and daughters up to this point to where I think we can tolerate. That's, that's a good way to say it. Jesus could tolerate this lady not having every I dotted, every T crossed. He could tolerate the fact that she'd been married five times and was living with a dude that wasn't her husband. That didn't affect his message, didn't affect his love to her. And when she finally got it, when he said, I am, I am the one you're looking for, she said, we know that the Christ is coming. He said, I am, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm him. She went back into town and she turned into the greatest evangelist you'd ever seen. Didn't say she renounced Jacob, didn't say she renounced her place of worship but she tagged into Jesus. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to get across this morning. Our assignment is just to tag people into Jesus. Beca let them become Jesus followers. The rest is gonna take place themselves. And I think we've come into that place. You remember over in Galatians, this just happened to hit me and I, I, I'm, cause I think this helps you to see where, where we've come from. In Galatians chapter four and verse one, he says, the, not the heir as long as he's a child, doesn't differ from a servant, though he's master of all. See, we've come through a time, we've, we've understood we're master of all, we're heir of all, but we were children. <coughs> we were children, and so we didn't, we didn't have access to anything. Then he goes on in verse 4 and says, But when the fullness of the time had gone, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born under the law. So here's what's happened. The, the time appointed by the Father has come, and he has released you into the earth as a son. He's released you into the earth as a son. And so now you're beginning to take your place. See, we've moved from servant and we move to son. The move from servant to son is the moving from duality into oneness. When we were a servant, we were under governors and tutors and those governors and tutors taught us some rights and some wrongs and, and some what to do's and what not to do's. But now that we've come into this place of sonship, we have dropped that duality and we're now ready to listen to the voice of the Father to respond to what He says and not make a judgment or a perception on our own. Are, are you tracking with me this morning? When we drink from the waters of duality, you thirst again. They don't satisfy. You're not, you're not just sure what is right and what is wrong. Because it shakes you. It shakes you, it really does. Religion is in that exact same place today. Religion, the Father's, the father's bringing religion out of this duality. The Father's bringing religion out of the, we're right, everybody else is wrong. We worship in Jerusalem, you worship, you worship on that mountain, you guys are all messed up. 
He's, he's, he's developed us as sons to where that's not, that's not getting under our skin anymore. You believe in a pre-trib rapture? I don't believe in any rapture, right? You believe that Jesus is going to appear in the sky? Uh, I think he comes back. He's already made his appearance within the sons and the daughters of God. See, it doesn't. we don't have to argue those things anymore. Jesus didn't argue with this lady. She did. And because he was coming from a place that was deeper than theology and religion, she didn't argue with Jesus. He, she was intrigued by him, see? And religion is at a place now people people have a hunger spiritually on our uh, on the planet i've never seen such spiritual hunger in the lives of people 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 are hungry spiritually but they're not being satisfied and the, the the reason is because religion is not scratching where people are itching they're still feeding them rituals and theology and beliefs that's not where people people are looking for life People are looking for what actually really works. In, in John chapter 5, in verse 39, <clears throat> in John chapter 5, a little bit later in, in the book, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, it says this, Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. That's where religion is still searching. Religion tries to take scripture and say, okay, here's, here's the key, here's the secret, here's the step. Here's the magic sauce. And Jesus said, it ain't in there. It's not in there. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. And these are they which testify of me. The source, the well, the water is Jesus. All scripture should do is point you to the source. Scripture was never meant to be the source. Scripture was never meant to be the fourth member of the Godhead. Scripture was never meant to be put upon a pedestal and worshipped as infallible and inerrant. Scripture should inspire you within to seek Him, to know more about Him. And as you do that, the Spirit of Truth reveals, He unveils. The pursuit of the source is what's important. And here's, here's where religion has missed it. They have made Scripture the source. And by making scripture the source, it's opened the doors to duality, right, wrong, good, evil. We have it. You're wrong. Our theology is correct. Your the There's all kinds of dualism today that is on the planet within Christianity because of the, we have put this in a place where it should never have been. Jesus said plainly, don't find life in scripture. You find it in me. I am the source. There, there was never a promise that we would tap living water in a scripture. There's not one scripture that says if you if you get it right in scripture, you <coughs> excuse me, you're going to tap living water. We need to tap into Jesus. We need to tap the Christ that is within. That is the one source. <coughs> All right, over in John chapter seven. Let me read this. I'm going to start landing this down. John chapter seven and verse thirty-eight. Says Jesus said this, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's what I've been trying to get you to see this morning. Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Everything that you need is within. It's not in outward forms. It's not in outward rituals. It's not in outward worship. Uh, it's, it's, it's within you. He has uncorked. He's uncorked that water, that living water, that well within you, and it's starting to spring up. 
Scripture's not the source, never has been, never will be. Scripture has one purpose, the verse says, and we just read it, and that is to point us to the source himself. And I hope at the Digital Cathedral, if nothing else, I hope I get you pointed toward the source. I never want to point you to me. I never want to point you to what I teach. I want to point you to Jesus. If I can get you hooked into him, if I can get you sold on the Christ within, tapped into him, I'm going to tell you something. Life will never be the same. You'll, you'll not fall for, for deception. You'll not fall for error. People are so afraid of being deceived and, and, and that they're not going to get everything right. You're never going to get it right, so stop trying. <laughs> Hook into the source. Let the spirit of truth guide you. True spirituality comes from within. Isn't that what Jesus said? You tap into him, out of your belly, out of your inner man, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The kingdom is within. What you're looking for is within. Every answer to every question, every dilemma that you're facing is within you. You go to the doctor and he gives you a report that you're not looking for. And he says, here's, here's, here's how we can treat this. The spirit of truth within you will guide you in what to select or not to select. What to do and what not to do. See, he's going to lay it all out and say, here's the, here's the positives and here's the negatives and here's what may and here's what may not. Don't listen to that. that hear it, but don't listen to it. All right? Or maybe I should say, listen to it, but don't hear it. What you're, where your ear is tuned is to the voice within. The voice within is the one that will guide you. So the end of the story in verses 25 and 6 loops back, actually, to what we started with. Let, let me just finish this up for you here. Luke chapter, or John chapter 4, and, uh, and verse 25, and verse 26. Now I want you to, it ends up here. Verse 25 and verse 26. Woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So he just discloses right out. This, I'm the one you've been looking for. What I've been telling you is the truth. Now, he, he disclosed that actually back in, in verse 10, but she didn't get it, so Jesus had to come and just plainly say it. Look what he says in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, the, the, word, the word there, gift, is the word doria. It means, um, it means no repayment is required. There's nothing required. It doesn't come by merit. It just is a deposit. It's just a gift. If you had known the gift of God and he who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <coughs> verse 25, if I were to translate verse 25, I would just say that he said, I am he that's speaking to you. The I am is here. So the lesson for us this morning is this. Jesus takes his chance encounter and you're going to have chance encounters. He takes his chance encounter and he lets the spirit direct it to a life-changing experience for the one that he encounters. <clears throat> Here's what I want to say this morning. As sons and daughters, as manifesting sons and daughters, we're going to have encounter after encounter with people. I want you to recognize fully that they're not accidents and that you don't have to try to figure out what you're going to say ahead of time. Just be responsive to what he puts within you the words that come out your mouth. Know that they carry life. Know that they carry truth. 
<clears throat> you're not going to gain foothold by arguing, by debate, and I'm saying this to all my social media buddies. We don't gain headway with people by arguing or debating. What Jesus did, he just turned the light on. He turned the light on internally for this lady. When he turned the light on, the, the darkness evaporated from her mind. She saw it. And she went back into town and she began to spread it. May we encounter every person and may we live this message out before them in such a way that they catch what it is that we have within. God is working within us. I'll tell you, the rivers are flowing. Life is good. Live it to the max. <clears throat> Don't sweat small things. Don't feel like you've got to talk people out of what they have. Just expose them to the truth. Amen? All right, God bless. I think we'll stop right there. We're about 45 minutes in. That's good enough. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday morning. Let me just pray for you real quick. Some, some weeks I don't pray for you, but I just feel like saying, Father, <clears throat> I pray you take this word and etch it deep within us today. May we recognize every encounter this week as being a Jesus encounter and may it become a life-changing experience for us and for them, we pray. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night at The Secret Place and back next Sunday right here at the Digital Cathedral.